Welcome to Canucks Central at Night. Bring you the extra post-game coverage you need. Only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Oh, you thought we were done. Canucks post-game coverage is not done. It continues here on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome inside Sportsnet 650 studios. Raja Shergill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me as well. After a ugly Vancouver Canucks loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Man, people are fired up on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line after that 5-2 loss. We will get to your thoughts as well. Dan Riccio, the color voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650 for the last couple of games at least, is going to join us at 9 o'clock. He'll help break it, break down uh, the game tonight. Also, uh the games earlier this week as well as they kind of play a big part over the storyline for the Vancouver Canucks season thus far Josh uh, and after all summer talking about Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson signing and then waiting on how this offense group how this new look revitalized offense for the Canucks is going to look and the question marks surrounding Oliver Ekman Larson and Tucker Pullman and the blue line we finally have Vancouver Canucks hockey back and a little disappointing to say the last two games have not gone the way that the Canucks fans would want them to go. That being said, the Detroit game, a loss to a team obviously that isn't as powerful, isn't as strong as the Canucks, people were able to chalk it up to, okay, sometimes that kind of stuff happens. You're going to lose games to opponents that are, aren't, as, aren't as good as your team if they have a strong goaltending effort. Today, however... You cannot pull out those kinds of excuses because in my eyes, Josh, not really an excuse to not being there for a full 60 minutes. No excuse to not having effort. It was a lousy performance from the Canucks tonight. It was a little gross. Yeah, the you saw the first 10 minutes and the Canucks got off to a good start and that was very encouraging. You thought, hey, maybe they're, they're just going to stomp the Sabres and that's going to be the end of the night and the Canucks are going to be 2-1-1 one, one on the season and then... Look, Buffalo, they've won all their games so far this season. They're obviously not going to be a great team this year, but they're at least competitive enough and work hard enough to win games, and they've shown that early in the year. The bigger issue is, yeah, to your point, the Canucks just did not put an effort in that would have beat any team in the league, and especially defensively, I think, and and we're going to talk about a, a few certain players that had their own struggles, but especially defensively, the effort just wasn't there. And the offense, when it comes to key players like Pedersen, like Besser, who was playing his first game, like JT Miller, they weren't really there as well. And that all adds up to a not-so-great result in Buffalo. And, you know, a lot of the text messages that we're getting on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Remember, get your thoughts and we'll read your texts as they come in. A lot of the interaction that we're getting, not only on that text message inbox, but also on Twitter, Josh, is a little bit of overreaction about how this season is going to go going forward and about how this team, the construction of this team, and the, the moves made by general manager Jim Benning are the reason why they are losing. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and say that Benning is not to blame, but my question is, is it fair or foul this early into the season after just four games for the Vancouver Canucks fan base to be reacting in an overreaction manner? It's fair to watch a game like that and have concerns, I would say, but... Coming out of that game and, well, okay. When you look at the first four games as a whole, it's really easy to be discouraged by today's game. But when you look at the first three, the effort, the numbers, the consistency was there. Obviously, they got the only the one point in Edmonton, but they got a pretty crucial win in Philadelphia, and they look good doing it. Detroit, you run into a hot goalie. It is what it is. They probably should have won that game. The expected goals were, I think it was 4-2 in favor of the Canucks. And most of the time, you're going to win that game. But just so happens that they ran into Thomas Grice. Teams are going to say the same thing about Thatcher Demko at some point this season. It's going to happen. And then you look at tonight, and it's 
I don't want to say you can overreact, but you can tentatively be concerned. And if it carries into Chicago and Seattle, then you can overreact. You can you can put all your takes out there. The Canucks defense does suck. This team was constructed so poorly, and they are maybe only going to win 12 games this season. I don't know. Right, and I don't mean to to sit there and say right now that the construction of this blue line and the construction sort of of this roster overall is perfect, and the Canucks uh, are this is going to be the season for the Canucks going forward. That's not what I'm going to do because I do believe that it's an upgraded roster. It's kind of a similar conversation to what we had last year in the big, in the beginning of the season, Josh, is that it was kind of the effort that we talked about last season uh, of being the issue for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think that's the biggest disappointment for me, is that we had this entire year last year where the fan base was just clamoring for this Canucks team to show us what they did in the bubble a couple of years ago and really take that momentum and carry it on to the Canadian division, and it just never really happened. And obviously, they had the the COVID scare at the end of the year, which really put things, uh, just really put made the season last year a complete write-off, and then you come into this season with an overhauled offense. You'll come into the season with new players on your blue line as well, and everybody had their takes, whether it's going to be a good year defensively, whether it's going to be a, another season of Thatcher Demko having to stand on his head. And for me, the biggest word that I think of is is just disappointment, where I don't want to sit here and overreact and say that, okay, we're going to be watching these kinds of games going forward, that would be an incredibly disappointing year for Vancouver. But it's one of those things that I look at and say, when you had the season that you did last year, to not start off on the right foot early in this year, it hasn't really gone the way I think that a lot of fans wanted to go. And I think a part of this has to do with the fact that Vancouver is... It's a very emotional market at times, right? You kind of, after this loss like this, you start to forget about how the season started. And the first three games, Josh, as we talked about, they were not bad. Vancouver actually played pretty well. I liked how Oliver Ekman Larson played. I liked how Tucker Pullman played. But when you have a player game like this, you kind of forget to you kind of forget about how those players had played in those games, and you start to just focus on the negative, and that's where you get into, uh, that's where you get into this market not really believing in the team as much. And I think so far, through a very short sample size, four games, but all the additions that they've made have been good. Like I, I can't think of a single addition they made that has been bad to this point in the season. Um, to be honest, I can't really point out a specific player that has been bad to this point in the year, aside from maybe today's game where there was a certain pair yep. that struggled. But that being said, it's just the, again, it's just the overall effort that tonight wasn't there. In Detroit, it was. In Philly, it was. In Edmonton, it didn't really, there were, there were lulls and points in that game where the Canucks really, we're on the back foot, but that being said, you're playing against McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's probably going to happen at some points, and it's you're right. You people wanted this season to start in a way where, hey, maybe the Canucks win four out of six on this road trip. They show that they are a legit, at least playoff contender and a team that will be in the playoff race to the end of the season. And look, it's still it is still early. The Canucks are definitely still going to be in that conversation unless things go completely sideways. But these were two very winnable games that the Canucks dropped and progressively got worse. I think people, and maybe let's let's ask the listeners, 650-650 text in, would you feel better about this team right now if they had had this effort against Detroit and lost and then came into Buffalo and had the effort against they had against Detroit, which was good, but still lost tonight. And maybe would you see it as a progression of sorts? I don't know if I would, because at the end of the day, those are two games that you should still have points in. And look, I'm not going to sit here and dog on the on the Detroit Red Wings game, because it's the National Hockey League. There's good players in the team. Every team has good players. You're going to lose te- games to teams that are not better than you in the standings. That happens. But when you go out and have a game like you did in Detroit, it's, 
okay to say that, all right, we ran into a hot goaltender. And, and to your point, teams are going to be saying that about Demko. The Vegas Golden Knights said that about Thatcher Demko in the bubble a couple of years ago. Demko is still in the Golden Knights here. <laughs> yes. I don't know how, but he's there. Um, and then for the Canucks to come out here and, and play the way that you, the, you did today, I don't know if I would view it any differently if it happened in the Detroit game because to me, it's still a loss. I don't really... Here's the thing, and, and Ian McIntyre said this when he was on with Sat Shaw and, and Randeep Jand on the postgame show, and I thought it was a really good point, is that the Canucks were looking terrible to start this game off in the first 20 minutes. Somehow, in the second period, they looked even worse. It was not good in the first 40. And yet after two periods of play, Josh, they were still tied at two. There was an opportunity for the Canucks to come out in the third and win this game, come out with a different mindset, come out with a clean sheet of ice, and come out trying to at least be a little bit or show that they were a little bit more motivated in getting those two points. And look, I get it. you got to give credit to the Buffalo Sabres. We'll hear from the Canucks players as well coming up later on in the show. And they gave a lot of credit to how Buffalo was playing, especially in the forecheck, especially with how physical they were. But that's not really an excuse to come out for three straight periods and, and not even look up to par against the Buffalo Sabres team that you know isn't as good as you are, especially after a loss with Detroit. You had an opportunity to win that period. You have to win 20 minutes of hockey, really. And they weren't able to do it. They get shut down by the Sabres, and a lot of this does have to do with some of the players that we're going to talk about today. And that's the main question. Vancouver, Josh, today was without Quinn Hughes on their blue line. How much of an impact did that make? And the other thing I've got to really, we've got to dive into here is the players that came in and made their season debuts for the Canucks, Luke Shen and Brad Hunt. And I think that's the two two players that you and I, and I think a lot of the listeners, kind of had their eyes on as to it was an underwhelming performance for both of them. Yeah, it was a pretty rough night for the pair. Uh, if you look at some of their advanced stats, you look at, let's let's go to uh, Natural Statric. Their Corsi was uh, 37% for both of them. A little bit better for uh, Luke Shen, who was at 42. And the high danger chances for was heavily in favor of the Sabres and Brad Hunt specifically, he was on the ice for zero Canucks goals on the ice for three Sabres goals. And it's just, it, the, the thing is, and we're going to talk about this a bit, but Brad Hunt didn't come in to replace Quinn Hughes. No, he is in because Hughes isn't playing, but he is not playing Quinn Hughes's role. You don't expect him to have the same impact that Hughes does. And that's obvious. But you do expect him to come in and just be an average defender. And tonight, he wasn't that. And he has been in the past. I don't think this is a, a huge cause for concern and that maybe Brad Hunt shouldn't be on the roster because he should. He's a he's a fine 7-8 seven, seven, defenseman. But when you have to insert him into the lineup and play with another guy who also hasn't played this season, they're going to struggle a bit. And... You saw that tonight. You saw it with Luke Shen as well, though he did get the assist on that Dowling goal. Aside from that, he had his own issues as well. Yep. So you see with a game like this just how important Quinn Hughes is, and especially this year. His defensive game has improved to in a very short sample size, but they not they don't only miss him in the offensive zone, which is which is obvious and the impact he's had throughout his whole young career, but in the defensive zone too. He's at least a stabilizing force that can help get the puck out of the zone that is something that Hunt and Shen struggled with tonight. Most definitely, and and that's where I think a lot of the cause for concern without having Quinn Hughes in the lineup comes from is that the Canucks moving the puck out of their own zone, that transition game, was pretty non-existent without having Quinn Hughes in the lineup. And that's not to say that other players in this team aren't capable of moving the puck up. I think Tyler Myers is one of those guys that excels in doing that. I think Tucker Pullman, from what we've seen, has done a pretty good job of doing that, that calm presence in his own end. He's shown that over the first couple of games. That being said, today, that wasn't really there for most of the Canucks defensemen. And look, you're right. Jack Rath, sorry, Luke Shen, and, and Brad Hunt don't come in to replace a guy like 
Quinn Hughes. Nobody can really do that, and they shouldn't be looked upon to do that. And that's where I've seen a lot of takes online is where people are saying this construction of the blue line is the roster, and sure, that might be true. I don't say, I'm not sitting here and saying that the Canucks blue line is great defensively, especially in their own zone. I'm not saying that they're going to be this hard-fought team to play against in their own end. So far, throughout the season, despite today's game, they've actually been pretty good. I've liked the way OEL's played, I like the way Pullman's played, I've liked the way Myers has played, and Rathbone as well. I don't see that those players being the issue in a game like today. Definitely, though, when guys that, that you expect to step up and, and they come into the lineup, guys like Brad Hunt, guys like Luke Shen, and they have the games that they had today, it kind of makes the blue line overall look kind of worse than what it was. And, you know, OEL and Tucker Pullman, they were able to have a lot of scoring chances in the offensive zone, and they were also able to protect some of the scoring chances that came towards the Canucks end of the ice. But that being said, there were so many opportunities that the Vancouver Canucks had to clear the puck out, and they weren't able to do that, which resulted in Buffalo just putting more and more pressure on the Canucks defenders, on the Canucks forward group as well, and it kind of makes the entire roster not look as good when you're not able to get the puck up the ice, you're not able to get those clean line changes, and that was very evident today. And with a player like Quinn Hughes, a lot of the time that the, a lot of the time those plays are able, you're able to get those plays off of your stick and onto the forward pretty quickly. And that wasn't there today for the Canucks, and it resulted in them being very tired and spending a lot of time in their own end, and that ultimately cost the Vancouver. Canucks as well. Continue to get your thoughts in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're getting lots of uh, responses right now. Jonathan Dahlin, by the way, also made a little bit of noise. We got a text in about that as well, reminding us about what Jonathan Dahlin did today, the former Vancouver Canucks prospect. We'll tell you about that. Uh, Also, some other texts as well, talking about Chris Tanev, Troy Stetcher, and how they and what they meant to the Vancouver Canucks blue line. Also, we'll be joined by Canucks color analyst for the last couple of games, Dan Riccio. He will join us coming up in about uh, five minutes' time. It is Sportsnet today. Pardon me. It is Canucks Central at night. Almost got it, but not really. I was going to say Sportsnet tonight, but no. It's Canucks Central at night. Uh, after a 5-2 Vancouver Canucks loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, we're here till 10 p.m. Continue to get your thoughts, and we'll read the texts on the other side. Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, we're back after this. This is Canucks Central at Night, giving you even more time to break down the game. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. feel like the song is a little too energetic after a Vancouver Canucks 5-2 loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Canucks Central at night. Roger Sergil, Josh Elliott-Wolf with you. More effort than the Canucks put in. Definitely. Tonight. In this song. Yeah. I see you working too, by the way. I know you got called out earlier by somebody on the phone line saying that you were uh, the problem with the Canucks audio. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was not. <laughs> I, do, I, I do what I can. The Canucks send a Zoom from whatever rink they're at. Right. Detroit, Buffalo, it hasn't been the best, okay? And that's easy. It's easy to put on me. I'll take the blame. But for the record, it is not me. I'm going to blame Craig McHugh. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Cl- always blaming C-Mac you are, Josh. Well, what's he going to do now? Uh, he can't do anything now. Yeah, now he's... Now he's with the Canucks. Hey, maybe it actually is his fault because we do know that it's not from our end here on Sports at 650, some of those audio issues that you hear during Canucks postgame. Uh, I don't think it's from the Canucks either. It's from the uh, rink that uh, the Canucks were at today in Buffalo and uh, the other night in Detroit. Vancouver, as mentioned, coming off of a 5-2 loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Dan Riccio, he did play, who did color commentary over the last couple of games, filling in for Corey Hirsch on the radio side is going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. We'll get his thoughts after the Vancouver Canucks loss. A very poor effort 
from Vancouver. I think anybody will tell you that, that it was one of those games that you do not want to see happen very often. A lot of people reacting as to how this loss is going to set the pace for the Vancouver Canucks season going forward. A lot of people obviously not happy with the direction of the team and also also with how the construction also with the construction of this roster, particularly on that blue line. We'll get Dan Riccio's thoughts on the game tonight as he is joining us now. Dan, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, not too much. I'm doing all right. How you boys doing? Not too bad, man. Uh, better than the Canucks uh, after that game. You know, coming into this road trip, reached the, the number that I pegged for it to be a successful one was probably around six or seven points. Uh, that's still accomplishable, but after two games against Detroit and Buffalo that results in losses, how do you feel the, the morale of the Canucks is at right now and, and going into Chicago as well? Yeah, it's obviously not great going to Detroit and Buffalo, not getting any points. I mean, there's not going to be too many teams that do that sort of a road trip this year and end up empty-handed. At the same time, it is just the fourth game of the season, right? Like, context matters here in that you have to realize there are still 78 games to play for the Canucks this year. And while... Tonight and Saturday night was not good, and especially tonight's effort was, I mean, the, the right word is probably deplorable, but, mm-hmm. I mean, Travis Green wouldn't go that far. I won't go that far. Tonight's effort was not good enough, bottom line, and that has to be rectified. And I think you look at the post game from Travis Green and hear what he said, Travis Green's not going to go in on his team all that often, but the way he spoke tonight and singling out that guys weren't blocking shots and weren't making hits, in Travis Green's way, that's him going at his team in the media. So I think it kind of sends a message that this type of effort is not going to be tolerated. Quinn Hughes obviously not in the lineup for the Vancouver Canucks today. How much did they miss Quinn Hughes? And which part of the game do you think he was most missed as well? I think we learned tonight that Quinn Hughes is the most important player for the Vancouver Canucks. He's the one player that they cannot live without in the lineup. And yeah, Oliver ekman Larson's start to the season has been fine, but the Canucks just couldn't break out of their own end all night long. And it was tough to watch. You know, the second period when they really started to get hemmed in their own end, it was just poor breakout after poor breakout. It was too slow. Not being able to beat that forecheck that Buffalo just kept coming in waves. Quinn Hughes is, is the guy that starts all that. You look at the numbers from the first three games, he's the guy who owns the puck for the Vancouver Canucks. He starts the breakout. He's always resetting and finding new ways to get the puck moving forward tonight. You didn't have that. And the Canucks didn't really have an answer for it. Now that's not the only reason they lost, but I think it did display to me that this Canucks decor cannot survive any length of period of time without Quinn Hughes. And we saw Brad hunt and Luke Shen draw into the lineup. Didn't really have a good night, but is there anything you can take away from their game that, Hey, maybe this is, this is the worst we'll see from them and there's nowhere to go but up? Or how do you, do you feel comfortable with them stepping into the lineup if there is an injury down the line? Yeah. I, look, I, I still think Brad Hunt is fine as a kind of seventh defenseman. He's not going to come into the lineup too often this year and be on the ice for three goals against. At least I hope not. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't see that happening all that often, guys. You know, He's a good defenseman, and he, and he showed it in Vegas that he can play this sort of a role. He showed it in Minnesota that he can play this sort of a role as a depth defenseman. He just had a really tough night. But it kind of feels like we're pointing at those two because they're the ones that came into the lineup and saying they're the reason for this. The Canucks as a team didn't play very well. I don't think you can put that on Brad Hunt and Luke Shen. They didn't have good nights but they weren't the only ones. So uh, maybe moving away from just this game, but the season as a whole, 
I think a lot of pressure was on some of the new acquisitions, whether it be OEL, who obviously got most of the attention, Connor Garland, Jason Dickinson. What have you seen from the acquisitions in the first few games and who, who has been the best, uh, who has been the most surprising so far in your opinion? The most surprising has been Connor Garland, I think, in everything that he brings to this roster. I don't think it's clicked all that well yet with Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat, but again, it's still very early days in the season. But everything he brings, skill, speed, tenacity, didn't see it as much tonight, but even in a night where he wasn't as noticeable as he was on Saturday, he draws a penalty in the third period that gives the Canucks an opportunity to get back into the game. Those are the types of things that you need your star players to do even when they're not having a big night. And to be honest, like I think a Garland or Hoaglander on the top power play unit might actually be a solution for the top power play unit and how you fix that. Because when we talk about effort and you talk about how this team played, they had numerous power plays tonight where, and it's happened all season, where they're not even gaining momentum. They're not creating opportunities. They're just, if anything, it gives Buffalo more confidence or the opposition more confidence when they're just having the worst time trying to create any sort of offense. I think that first power play unit needs somebody that's going to dig out pucks, get some puck retrievals, because that's the one thing on that top power play unit, well, plus the entries that are really, really hurting them. But Connor Garland's been the guy for me that I think is going to be the one you look at most often this year, and they're like, wow, what an acquisition that was for the Canucks. I'd agree with that. and Yeah, I do think the Canucks' top unit needs a bit of a shakeup as well. You mentioned the Canucks' second line, quote-unquote, with Pearson, Horvat, and Connor Garland. Do you think Pearson – and maybe I'm just projecting because I don't really like Tanner Pearson as a top six player, but do you think Pearson still belongs on that line or do you think they should start considering other options to play alongside Horvat and Garland to maybe provide a bit more of an offensive spark? Well, it's not that I necessarily disagree with you, Josh, but like Tanner Pearson does make a, a strong play uh, on the Bull Horvat goal and finds him in the slot for the opening goal of the game. So what is it you're exactly looking for out of Tanner Pearson uh, to bring out of that line? I think he does some of those things, but I think it comes down to a, how do you want that top six to look? And Travis Green has to make a decision here on, do I want to try and lengthen out my forward group and see if I can get balance across three lines offensively, or do I want to load up the top two, the top six and worry about the bottom six and hope that they can hold water win their matchups on most nights. Because if you're going to do that, I think the, the, the way I would look at the Canucks top six is go back to the lotto line. We saw it in the third period tonight. They had a couple of really strong shifts and then have Hoaglander, Horvat, Garland. We saw it briefly in Detroit, only for a couple of shifts, and I thought they were fine. They looked good, actually. Why not try that? If you're going to mix something up, I think that's the next thing you try if you're Travis Green. The question is, do they really want to split up Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat? It doesn't feel like they do. Dan Riccio, our guest here on Canucks Central at night following a Vancouver Canucks 5-2 loss by the hands of the Buffalo Sabres. Another player part of that conversation in the forward group reach is, is Vasily Podkols. And how have you viewed his game over the past four, four games so far through the Vancouver Canucks season? And when it comes to having sort of a balance of lines throughout this forward group, where do you see him fitting in best and, and maybe is where he's playing right now, currently on that third line, alongside a Justin Dowling and a JT Miller that we saw today. Is that the best fit for him, or is there more uh, opportunity perhaps to have him play in an offensive role? I, I don't think so. Like, I, I think this whole talk of, like, you have to give Pod Colson so many more minutes is just 
ludicrous, you know, like relax. The kid's 20 years old. He's in his first NHL season. He is still finding his way. If, you know, we've had this discussion with other players, Vertanen mostly, where it's just like, he has to be in the top six. You have to, you have to have it. Like why? If the player isn't like making it obvious that he deserves that spot, then why would you reward it to him just yet? Especially when the Canucks are stronger in their top six, especially on the right wing than they have been in recent memory. So I'm not ready to really upgrade his minutes all that much. I thought tonight, especially in the first period, was some of the best hockey we've seen Vasily Podkolzin play. From the first shift, there's a moment in the first shift of the game, he started alongside Miller and Dowling, he strips the puck in the offensive end of Rasmus Dahlin, and it creates a little bit of havoc. Those are the things I want to see Pud Colson doing more often. That's what's going to make him a successful player in the NHL, and we saw that consistently through the first 20 minutes of the night, and then, as we know, everything started to go wrong for the Canucks beyond that. But tonight, I think we started to see Vasily Pud Colson put his game together a little bit more Love the play he made on the Dowling goal where he finds Miller in a nice spot, quick passing, getting the zone entry. These are things Pod Colson needs to do. He's starting to put them all together. Well, the Canucks still have an opportunity reach to, to salvage this road trip, right? They got the Chicago Blackhawks coming up next, uh, and the Seattle Kraken will have their home opener as well. Chicago has not won a game so far this season, and I just mentioned Seattle is going to have a lot of... Uh, they're going to have they're going to be very excited for their game on Saturday as they get set to play in front of their fan base for the first time in franchise history. So the next couple of games are going to be very urgent for the Canucks to win, but also for their opposition as well. How do you view the next couple of games going especially when they're taking on teams like Chicago who are looking for their first win and they've got a lot to prove yeah Chicago uh has been awful (laughs) I think we all know that um it's it's never going to be an easy game and the Canucks aren't going to have too many easy games at any point this year they're just not that team I want to see a better effort um results wise I think uh Anytime you can get through a road trip at 500 is pretty solid, especially a lengthy one like this where it's six games. But that's going to be hard to do now that you've lost these two against Detroit and Buffalo. Get to five points, get back at home, and really make the most of your seven-game homestand after this road trip finishes up. I think that's the mantra I would be thinking of if I'm – you know, planning out my season over the next few calendar weeks. But if you're the Canucks, you can't think of, oh, we're in deep bleep if we don't have seven points by the end of this road trip. It's too early in the season to be thinking like that. So moving into the next couple games, we saw Miller at center again, that experiment kind of continuing uh, now that Besser is back in the lineup and obviously Travis Green trying to Add some more scoring depth. And I do think that Miller had a decent game with Dowling and Pod Colson, but we saw him, the lotto line reunited for a little bit at the end of the game, ended up only playing a couple minutes together. Do you want to see Miller keep playing center, or do you think he's a better fit still playing on the lotto line? And like you mentioned earlier, the Canucks loading up a bit more in the top six. I think you want to get your top players going and Elias Pettersson we haven't really talked about him, but he was a ghost tonight and he didn't really start to wake up until the lotto line got together and maybe one shift late in the second period where him, Hoaglander and Besser were really buzzing, had a couple of opportunities, but maybe made one too many passes. I, I think Miller, he's such a versatile player that you could see him in different spots but we know where his best spot is. And that's on the top line, left wing with Pedersen and Besser. Get those guys going and let your bottom six just be and hope that it is something that treads water, wins their matchups, doesn't have a whole lot of, has basically non-event hockey in the bottom six. You put Hoaglander back down there next to Highmore and Dickinson, 
And I thought that line could have some success. That's going to be the question mark. I think it's Miller and Hoaglander. Where do you use them right now? I think that's one of Travis Green's biggest thinkings or thought processes as he's getting on the plane to Chicago because he's got to figure out his forward group and the best mix for it. For me, get the lotto line back together. Get your big gun scoring because that's going to be what carries this team. Hey, Reach, really like hearing you on the call, man. Good work, and thanks so much for giving us some time. Yeah, cheers, fellas. That is Dan Riccio on The People Show. You can hear him Monday to Friday alongside Satyar Shaw and Randeep Janda and also lately has been doing the Vancouver Canucks color commentary here on Sportsnet 650, filling in for Corey Hirsch, who is filling in for John Garrett on the television side. Two more games. Two more games for... So if you have not heard Dan Riccio doing color commentary... It's a limited time experience. <laughs> yes. You've got two more games. It ends on Saturday in Seattle. And, and that's a big part of this conversation too, Josh, because look, we talked about how, and we asked uh, and we asked Reach about this as well, is that this Canucks team, as, as much as we talk about this road trip not being so great so far after losses to the Detroit Red Wings and, and now today to the Buffalo Sabres, there's still an opportunity for the road trip to be finished off in a successful manner, especially when you look at the number of points that a lot of people had pegged out as to what would constitute a a successful road trip. And that was, I think, the six or seven point range. The Canucks could still get to that. But the opposition is not going to be easy at all. And really, the Canucks are not in a situation where they can even take it easy as well. Because, look, you've You've done it before. You, you've you talked about how they, they came into the Detroit game and maybe took it a little easy. Well, you know what? Actually, they had 41 shots, and, and Thomas Grace played a great game, and Vancouver was able to not come away with the win. And then today, you thought they would be able to hopefully kind of add on to the momentum that they built from the Detroit game and not scoring and maybe come out with a little bit more passion, and it went the completely other direction. On the next contest against Chicago against a team that has not won yet, they've got to come in and really be motivated because you know the Blackhawks will. Definitely. And to your point, so if I had gone, if I had told you going into this opening road trip, hey, the Canucks play six games on the road, yes, there's a couple weak teams in there, but there's also a couple hard opponents and Seattle home opener, stuff like that. And I told you, hey, the Canucks are going to get six or seven points out of this road trip. And then they come home, they play seven in a row at Rogers Arena and can really rack up some more points at home. You'd probably be okay with the six or seven points. And obviously the the home stand is never a guarantee either. You can still lose games when you're playing at home. But walking away from this road trip, if they can salvage six or seven points, is would be a huge success at this yep. point. And, and you hope, and look, realistically, they should already have six or seven points just based on they went into Detroit already having three. But that being said, you are where you are now, and you got to go into Chicago and Seattle with the mindset of just take a point from each, maybe win one game, lose one, and then you come home and you do what you can to get as far above 500 as possible because you need to start adding some padding between you and other teams because L.A. looks like they're – actually maybe going to be kind of good this year. Seattle has had their issues. Anaheim, while they're struggling a bit, they are scoring a lot of goals. And Calgary, look, they've had a bad start, but they're probably still in a relatively similar spot to where the Canucks are right now. So it's going to be really important, and you need to go into Chicago and Seattle ready for those opponents because they're going to want wins so desperately mm-hmm. in different ways in both of those games. Yeah, and then exactly, right? In the next couple of games with Van with Vancouver, as we mentioned, Chicago's gonna come out motivated. Seattle's had their home opener on Saturday, Josh. Like this is going to be a packed building in Seattle taking on a future rival of theirs for years to come. I, I don't expect these games to necessarily be easy, even though on paper the competition might not be all that difficult. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, continue to get your thoughts in as well. 
Lots to dissect, but I'll pick one part of the team's play thus far. The power play is overcoached and overstructured. The creative players aren't being allowed to be creative. An opposing team can do one hour of video and completely shut down that power play. Pedersen has to be mobile, not stagnant, waiting for the one-timer. He needs to use his creativity and playmaking ability. And look, I kind of agree with that in the sense that, look, the first power play unit today, without Brock Besser on it, the the first couple of games, it did not look like itself. Alex Chason was there doing his best Brock Besser imitation, has that right-handed shot on that right side, sort of behind the net, and wasn't quick enough as Brock would be. And and that's fair because, you know what, he's not Brock Besser. He's not that kind of player. He's not going to be able to do that, so he shouldn't be judged on that. And it never looked great. And then today, Brock Besser comes in, and I kind of have to agree with Peter in Vancouver with that text. It seems like it's a little overstructured. A yeah. lot of the time, this team is moving the puck around, and they're looking for that pass in the bumper, right? That down-low pass to Brock Besser, he centers it for Horvat in the bumper, and they get their goals. And it was pretty successful last year, and it's been pretty successful. But what I don't like about it is that they continuously look for that play time in and time again, right? It, it just doesn't seem like it's something that is is really done by the players. It seems like it's something that this is the way they've been coached to do it, and that's the way that they're going to do it. And to Peter's point, yeah, that is a pretty easy thing to stop once you're watching it over and over again. And the part of the thing that I don't like about that is because when you saw the second unit power play come out, the first thing they did, Josh, was shoot the puck on net, get a rebound, and all of a sudden you had Connor Garland, Tanner Pearson banging home the puck to try and get those second and third opportunities, and they were almost able to convert on a couple of them. So, yeah, the power play isn't looking well, and I think a part of the reason why they aren't looking well is because, to Peter's point, it does look very stagnant, it does look very overcoached, and they kind of need to get back to basics of just shooting the puck on net until they can build that confidence back up. And I think we said this a lot last year, too, where the power play was struggling and it just seemed like they wanted to find Pedersen for a one-timer every time and then obviously got injured and the power play struggled from there because they didn't have Pedersen. And he is a very creative player. And when you put him in a position where all he can do is wait for the one-timer, maybe pass down to below the goal line or up Mm -hmm. to Hughes and he can't move around, you're going to find yourself in a spot where you're not utilizing your best player's best traits and when you look at Connor McDavid in Edmonton he does have a spot that he stays in but he also is very mobile and Pedersen look he doesn't have the speed McDavid does but he he is strong on the puck and he can win board battles and he can be tough enough to be able to be mobile on the power play you look at Quinn Hughes he is one of the best puck controllers maybe in the NHL and so for me personally, and I've, I've floated this idea a little bit, I know people hate the idea of a two-defenseman power play unit, but when Hughes is healthy, I don't mind maybe them looking into what a power play unit with Elias Patterson, Bo Horvat, or JT Miller, and Brock Besser would look like with Hughes and OEL also on that same unit. With OEL controlling the point, Hughes kind of being a bit of a rover, and then the other three kind of staying where they are. I don't know if I agree necessarily with that part of it, with with having Oliver Ekman Larson. Although I do agree in principle, because this is a Canucks team that has so many options on the power play. We're talking about a guy like OEL, who you just mentioned, that has had a ton of success in his career on the man advantage. You're talking about a player in Connor Garland who has a lot of offensive instincts and he is just clamoring to get that power play time and and you know that he can be successful when he's put with those players and and that's a guy that I think a lot of Canucks fans are excited about with what he can bring from an offensive point of view this season and what he's shown thus far in his career in Arizona. The Canucks have Niels Holglander as well, who's probably been their best player in my opinion over the last four games. You've got Tanner Pearson to a lesser extent, too. You've got Vasily Podkolzin. These are guys that have skill. And so when a player like Quinn Hughes is not in your lineup and you're replacing him with OEL, 
in my eyes, there should be no excuse for the power play to not be successful because of the options that you have. I understand there's going to be growing pains when you're when you're missing a player like Quinn Hughes, but it's been more than just that. It's been more than just Quinn Hughes that's that's been the issue on the power play. I I agree with Peter's text there. I do feel like it's been a little bit overproduced. It's been a little bit overcoached. It's been lack of creativity. This team just needs to start pushing the envelope a little bit more when it comes to the man advantage. Because look, as we saw, as I just mentioned, that second unit, what they did, shoot the puck on net, get rebounds, and start being a little bit more confident in that ability to score goals as well. And that's where I think the Vancouver Canucks power play right now has been lacking. They don't really have any confidence because it just seems to be very, very overcoached. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf with you. It is Canucks Central at night. One more segment coming up. We will hear from the players after the 5-2 loss today against the Buffalo Sabres. Canucks now 1-2-1 early on in this regular season. More coverage coming up on the other side. It is Canucks Central at night on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is Canucks Central at night, giving you even more time to break down the game. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Final segment here on Canuck Central at night. Josh Elliott, Roger Shergill alongside Josh Elliott Wolf here on the official home of the Canuck Sportsnet 650 following a 5-2 Vancouver Canucks loss to the Buffalo Sabres. The undefeated Buffalo Sabres, I should say. They might never lose again. Nope, they, they might. They are an they elite team. They are probably team. going to lose again. They're an elite team. You know who else is an elite team apparently? Undefeated as well. The Edmonton Oilers, Josh. 3 Oh, and oh, on the season, they defeat the Anaheim Ducks 6-5. to High-scoring affair today as well. That's a team that a lot of player, people have pegged to be just right behind Vegas, I think, in the Pacific Division. I don't know if I really believed in them that much. I don't love that blue line. I don't love you that goaltending. Of Edmonton, yeah. Oh, I'm not good. afraid to admit that. Yeah, no, me too. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Oilers. However, obviously, right now, they're proving me wrong. Uh, doing pretty good to start the year, including a victory over the Vancouver Canucks as well in a shootout. Um, we'll hear from Brock Besser and Justin Dowling as well coming up in just a couple of minutes uh, following the, the loss to the Buffalo Sabres today. Um, a lot of texts on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. One of them calling out Elias Pedersen, saying that Elias Pedersen is overrated and let's be honest, when does Pedersen ever hit that one timer on the power play? Almost never. They need to switch things up. That's from Ryder. Two different texts, by the way. Ryder, I'm not trying to say that you called Pedersen overrated. However, somebody else did call Pedersen overrated. That was unsigned. That was unsigned. That person also went on a series of texts. They had a few in a row. Travis and his blender. Till he is gone, the Canucks will not be a cohesive team. Uh, then it followed, up, followed it up with the Pedersen is overrated. And then asked, where were the hard games? Because I mentioned the Canucks did have a couple of difficult games. Uh, when you ask, where were the hard games? Edmonton was pretty difficult. Obviously, they're 3-0. They've got the two best players in the league. Philly is supposed to be a playoff team. I like Philly. Yeah. And then coming into the next two games, Chicago, like they've started bad, but I still think they're, they're a borderline team that has a lot of really mm-hmm. skilled players. And then Seattle in their home opener, that's a game that, they are probably going to win. And let's not uh, let's not sit here and and try and say that you know the Detroit Red Wings or Buffalo Sabres automatically means it's easy competition. This is the National Hockey League. A lot of up to a lot of upsets happen when you have a loss like you did to the Detroit Red Wings. You can you can just sort of chalk that up to really good goaltending by Thomas Grice and and the sort of effort was there for the Canucks. I'm okay when your team loses those kinds of games because again, like I mentioned, it's the NHL. It happens. What I don't like is the effort today. The Vancouver Canucks today had a very poor effort, Josh, and I think a lot of Canucks fans agree with that and and that's why we're getting a whole bunch of overreaction in my eyes coming at the Vancouver Canucks fan base, coming at the general manager as well, Jim Benning at the construction of this roster, particularly that blue line. 
I'm not going to sit here and say that I disagree with that. But what I am going to say, when you go and say things like fire Benning and what do you expect when you dress a roster like this or dress a, dress a blue line like this, I feel like you kind of blame or put blame or take away blame, I should say, from some of the players that played poorly. And sure, Brad Hunt, Luke Shen today were one of those players, or two of those players that did not have a great game for the Canucks. But they're not regulars in your lineup. They didn't play well today. It was tough. Quinn Hughes went out, you replaced them. But those are depth guys. Those are the kinds of guys that most teams would have waiting at the 7th or 8th spot in the press box to come in and fill a role. They never played well, obviously. But you also are taken away from the fact that the forward group did a poor job, other than a couple of players, probably only Niels Hoaglander, really, did a poor job of, of really showing up tonight. It was a poor effort across the board. And I'm not going to sit here and say, as I just mentioned, that it's not the fault of the general manager and that it's not this blue line's fault. But I'm trying to say that you're taking away from the fact that the entire team had a very poor game. And that's scary. As somebody who covers this team, and, and as fans, I would assume as well, it's very scary to see that your team is going to come out and have an effort like that so early into the season. Definitely. But also, the the thing that I think we need to remember, if I'm going to go super positive with this, is that teams do have off nights. And it doesn't really matter who the opponent is. Sometimes a team is just going to not have the effort, regardless of how talented their roster is. Even if you look around the NHL today, the San Jose Sharks shut out the Montreal Canadiens 5-0. Whoa. The New Jersey Devils beat the Kraken 4-2. That, okay, that the Devils are good, sorry. The Dallas Stars beat the Penguins 2-1. The Red Wings beat the Blue Jackets 4-1. The Maybe that's the only upsets. Um, oh, the Panthers beat the Lightning 4-1. That one I just wanted to mention because I like their rivalry and it's fun. <laughs> Best uh, rivalry in hockey right now. But, yeah, that being said, like, look at the Lightning record. Do you think people are concerned that the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't off to that good of a start? Probably not, but also they have a way better roster and and they can afford to wait a little bit more. If you're a Canucks fan, look, and, and I'm flipping right in the middle of what I'm saying right now, but if you're a Canucks fan, maybe you maybe it's okay to panic a little bit because this is a roster that needs to pick up points against yeah. Buffalo and Detroit because they're not going to be able to beat teams that have better rosters later in the year. But I don't know if it's okay to panic because you are just four games in. The season just started. But I understand, I guess, some of the panic. I understand, I guess, some of the overreaction from the market. And, and that's because this Canucks team has not given the fan base really any reason to say that they will bounce back other than the bubble run a couple of years ago. That was two years ago almost, Josh. And after that, you would hope that the Vancouver Canucks were going to bounce back in the Canadian division. And it was a poor effort last year as well. And that's the concern that you are going in or you're coming into this season after last year was so terrible. And you would hope that they would come in and have better efforts, I guess. And and look, there is overreaction because it's only been one game and it's coming from me a little bit right now too. But I think that's the vibe around the fan base right now is that the concern is definitely there. However, when it comes to saying that certain players are overrated, like an Elias Pedersen, I will definitely pump the brakes on that because he's your most important player other than maybe Quinn Hughes. And... The points per game, he's almost been at a point, he's almost contributed, I should say, at a point per game clip throughout his entire career. And really, Josh, are any of us going to sit here and say he's not going to do the exact same this year? I don't think so. I think everybody here expects that Pedersen is going to have that same type of season, if not better, than what we've already seen before. And look, we also, you also got to remember he did miss a bit of training camp. It may take him a few games to get going, and I know that's tough to hear. I know it's tough to see, but it, it's not going to be if we reach 10, 20 games and he's still struggling, that's a cause for concern. But four games into the year, he's still had flashes of being the Pedersen we know. He's not overrated. He 
it, it, look, if you expect him to be Connor McDavid, then yes, he's overrated. But if you expect him to be a number one center and the most important player on your team, that's who he is. And I, the the Pedersen talk, whenever people say he's overrated, it generally comes down to those people thinking that he's too small mm-hmm. or isn't he isn't consistent physical enough. enough, physical enough. Yeah. He's never going to be that guy. But also, his size has never been a hindrance. Neither has Quinn Hughes' size been an issue, aside from maybe sometimes when he's defending. But even then, he's shown this year that he has kind of figured out how to defend with his size. So, I don't know. The the I, talk of them being overrated is just – that talk is overrated, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know me as well as anybody, Josh. I'm a very old-school hockey fan. I like my old-school hockey. I like my physicality in hockey. A lot of people call me a dinosaur when it comes to my hockey takes. So I, I like my hockey a little violent. I'm not afraid to admit it. Tom Wilson got points tonight. <laughs> you were openly cheering. I, yeah, I'm a fan, big fan of Tom Wilson. That being said, I'm not going to sit here and, and expect Elias Pettersson to be hitting players like Scott Stevens. I'm not going to be expecting Elias Pettersson to be a top, sorry, to be a power forward in the National Hockey League. He's an elite skilled player with very good IQ with a dominant shot, with a very scary one-timer, and a guy who is going to be a point-per-game player, in my estimation, for the Vancouver Canucks for years to come. In no way I do do I think that Pedersen is overrated, nor is Quinn Hughes, because we saw a lot of those texts come in. We saw a phone call come in earlier today as well, calling Quinn Hughes that, that overrated player. That's not the issue. The overreaction when it comes to star players needs to stop. I understand it in some parts of the conversation, especially after a loss to Buffalo, but when it comes to your star players, that's got to stop. Speaking of star players, star player spoke to media after the game. That is Brock Besser talked with media following the 5-2 loss to the Buffalo Sabres and just talked about how that Buffalo team took advantage of the Canucks. Yeah, um, you know, Buffalo's a hard-working team. We knew that coming into the game, and we knew we couldn't take them, can't take them lightly, and, um, you know, I think... A couple times where our, you know our game got a little sloppy and they, they took it to us. So um, you know I think it's some small details that we got to clean up and uh, we have to be better at. Um yeah I mean obviously the first one we didn't get in the zone and get set up so that's unfortunate but um, you know we got some good looks uh, you know on the second and third one um, I know I just missed a, a tap in back door so. Um, I mean, I think we just got to start shooting the puck. Um, you know, whenever, whenever things aren't going right, um, I think it's best is when you create shots and, um, you know, win those pucks back and keep shooting the puck. So. From a personal perspective, how did you feel out there after missing some time? Yeah, um, you know, I felt pretty good. But I was skating well and moving my feet. And, um, you know, obviously I, I like to produce uh, and get us a goal there at some point. So, um, you know, other than that, I, I, I felt pretty good. But... Uh, there's obviously some small details where, um, you know, they'll slowly come back. Um, yeah, I just knew after morning skate, just skated this morning and I uh, felt pretty good. So, you know, thought it was time to try it out in a game. It felt good. Honestly, I, I thought that we actually had some decent looks. Um, you know, I think the first period, um, you know, I was kind of back and forth. We were in there just a little bit, but then in the second, I thought we, you know, in our shifts with you know, Hogs and Petey, I thought we were down in their offensive zone for the most part, and, and, you know, especially that last shift in the second period and created some chances. And and obviously, they take a two-goal lead, so, um, you know, that's uh, obviously when we get Millsy back in the line, he, you know, he work, works hard, and um, you know, he can make plays with, with PD and I. So, um, you know, I think we, we got pucks, pucks back and, and created those turnovers and then made plays from there. I think it's just going back to the basics. Like, uh, we just got to simplify our game. We, gotta, we know, um, you know, we harp so much about the style of play that we want to play. 
I mean, I'll work in other teams, you know, getting pucks deep, making teams defend. And, um, you know, there's a couple times where we turn the puck over in the neutral zone, and that, that feeds their game. So, um, you know, I, I think if we take care of you know, that neutral zone game, I, I really think that we're going to get a lot more looks in the offensive zone. I imagine it's going to take a little bit of time to uh, find some symmetry with your, your shot and your release. Uh, you seem to be doing other things well away from the puck tonight. You drew a penalty, had a nice uh, rush with the drop pass to the whole line. Uh, is that kind of the emphasis tonight as well, to make sure you're doing all the other things right? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about with my shot, but um, you know, I thought I had a pretty good look there in the first, and then I didn't really think I had uh, that much of an opportunity. Uh, to, to get my wrist shot off after that. I mean, they're, they're a quick team over there, and they were closing quickly on us in the D zone. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, my main focus was to make sure I'm moving my feet and, and keeping it simple tonight and, you know, and playing our style of game. Hi, Brock. Um, you said uh, a few times early in the preseason before you got hurt how important you thought the preseason was for you and the team after last year. Um, how frustrating has it been uh, to lose half of the preseason, and how much catching up do you feel you have to do that? Yeah, um, you know, I did speak about that, and uh, obviously I missed preseason, so um, you know, I think I got you know just to really focus on those small details, um, make sure I'm really staying sharp in that area, um, and obviously the team game. Um, you know, I th- I think when you 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 get in you know a little Slumps like these, the only thing to get out of them is hard work, and um, you know I think we all just gotta look in the mirror and make sure that we come to the rink next game. Um, you know I think we gotta have a hard practice tomorrow and you know, carry that over into the next game in Chicago. So um, you know the next one's huge for our group. Uh, I was going to ask you about that because there are 78 games to go. But I know everybody on this team is eager to put last year behind you. Should there be a lot of urgency, even though we're only at game five, not to let nights like tonight happen very often? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think we have to play with urgency each and every game. And, um, you know, we've all said that we weren't happy with last year. So, um, you know, it definitely is frustrating to start like this. But um, I think we all know that we, we have a lot better and, and we can be, um, you know, play together as a team. and score more goals and play better defensively. So um, I think we all know that, and we just got to do it now. There is Brock Besser, forward for the Vancouver Canucks, made his season debut today. Uh, It's hard to to criticize Brock. Josh, he's just coming back. But it's one of those players, again, today that was not noticeable in the contest tonight. And and that's part of the reason why I, I said earlier where you know, a lot of people are saying, "Look, the blue line isn't good enough." Look at the paper. Look at the players that we're putting out there on defense today, just after a Quinn Hughes injury. And sure, those are fair points. But when you've got guys like Pedersen and Brock Besser and and JT Miller in my eyes as well, other than maybe a couple of shifts in that first period, a lot of the players on this team were ghosts tonight, and and that's why I find it hard to really put the blame on you know, a particular individual or just one sort of part of the Canucks game tonight across the board for me, it was a poor effort. Yeah. You need to see everybody step up and and Hey, look, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good that the team as a whole underperformed. Obviously it's not good tonight, but I mean, moving forward, maybe it's good that the whole team underperformed because they all know that they need to step up or specific. Mm -hmm. If it was specific individuals that were struggling those guys can kind of get blamed a little bit more than others, and maybe it, it it puts a lot more attention on specific players as opposed to the team as a whole. Look, it, it it's not a good look that the fact that you know you you come into a game after losing, like after a loss to Detroit, you would think that coming into Buffalo you would be more motivated, and and not to say that the team lacked motivation in Detroit, they obviously didn't. But at the end of the day, they don't get the scoring that they needed to win that game. And you would hope that they would have a different effort coming in. And it's not so much that they lost the game. The loss is disappointing. But what's even more disappointing is the effort. And I think that's what is taking a lot of people off, is the effort, at least to me. Because, I'll, you know, you can sit there and, and you can say that Brad Hunt had a bad game and Luke Shen had a bad game and... and 
Elias Pedersen wasn't there as well, and neither was JT Miller or whoever else you want to blame. You can do that, definitely, and you can sort of look at the outlook for this team and, and give your takes as to why they won't be successful. For me, it just comes down to effort. At the very least, those players can put in a better effort than they did today. It doesn't have to necessarily be execution all the time. It doesn't have to be the fact that they're, you know, losing games like they're playing games like they did in Detroit where they're scoring 40 shots and they just happen to not score. Sometimes it just comes down to your give-a-crap meter, and today it wasn't there, and that's something that you hope better be there on their next contest versus Chicago because you know the Blackhawks are going to want to are going to come out strong. They haven't won a game all year. They definitely want to win in front of their hometown crowd. Same thing goes for Seattle that are going to be playing their first ever home game in the NHL come Saturday. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, it is Canuck Central at night. Thanks so much for your interaction. Thanks so much for listening. The Vancouver Canucks falling today to the Buffalo Sabres by a score of 5-2. to two. They are back in action on Thursday against the Chicago Blackhawks, a game that you can catch right here on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650.